great singing. You may be seated. We're glad you're here worshiping with us today. We had a great Easter celebration a week ago and just being able to reflect on our Savior's resurrection and all of those uh, just important times during the Easter season. We pray that uh, God is continuing to encourage your heart with the fact that our Savior lives. We worship this morning a risen living Savior. And I would love to invite you to join us in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to continue our series, Theology on Mission, where we're looking at various uh, aspects of theological truths and, and looking at how they, they motivate us or inform our mission, the mission that Jesus Christ has called us on. Now, yesterday was a beautiful, beautiful day. How many of you got a chance to get outside and do something in the beautiful weather in some way, shape, or form? For those of you who didn't, I'm sorry I'm, if I'm not trying to rub it in, but it was a really nice day. And uh, we, had a, we had a ton of yard work that we wanted to do. We had a little, a little list that accumulated and, uh, with all, through winter and all the cold and gray and everything. So we were out doing quite a bit of a raking and, and things. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. I, I, I'm out of shape, and I know it. And I... Uh, I'll tell you what, like, when the, when the evening was rolling out, like, I was, like, I was about ready to pass out right there in the yard with a rake in hand. I was just exhausted and spent, so dragged myself inside. We had dinner, and I plopped down in my easy chair, and I started to relax, and uh, our 17-year-old um, wanted to go to the gym and work out, and it's like, I don't know, 8, 9 o'clock at this point, and uh, Elisa's like, hey, you should go to the gym with him, and I'm like, I don't even think I could walk to the front door right now let alone go to the gym. I, I know where I'm at here, and I know that I'm not in good shape. And uh, I was out of gas. I was out of power. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to the, the Christian life, we know that we need power. We know that we need strength. And the Bible has a lot to say. The New Testament especially has a great deal to say about the strength that God provides for us to be able to do what he's called us to do. And this morning, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. As we think about being empowered for mission, um, in Acts chapter 1, if you'll join me there, we're going to see just how the, the early church began to experience this power that was promised by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, we're going to begin reading right at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11 to get the context, but we're, we're basically going to hone in on verse 8 this morning. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, that was the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
While he was going, they were gathered into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taking, taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There is no way of fully understanding the significance of this promise, of this teaching, that the Spirit of God dwells within us, His people. Those who have been saved, those who have been born again, have the gift of the Spirit of God. We have God living inside of us. I remember as a kid hearing about our bodies being a temple of the Spirit of God. But often when, when, that would, when that teaching would come about in Sunday school class, it would be um, followed up quickly with the things that you should or shouldn't be doing because your body's a temple. So these are the places you shouldn't go, and these are the things you shouldn't say because God's always there with you. You shouldn't, shouldn't get tattoos, shouldn't smoke cigarettes, shouldn't do these things because that's God's temple. Now, interestingly enough, they didn't talk a lot about overeating, but that's a different subject. But we, we kind of brushed past. We got to like what we were supposed to do and not do. We sort of brushed past this whole idea like, like it was just like we all understood it, like wait a minute, did you say God lives inside of me? Like the creator of the universe, that God? Like when we were given the Holy Spirit, we weren't given like, they, they didn't call off like some backup God off the bench. Like here, you got, you, we, need, we need you to do something. Why don't you go and dwell believers? Like we remember as we think about the Trinity, God is one. Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, but one God the Spirit is not like a lesser God that we were stuck with. We have God Himself dwelling within us as believers. And it's, I don't know, if, if you grew up in church like I did, that, that kind of becomes background noise almost. Like, yeah, body's a temple, Jesus is in us through His Spirit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, we I think, fail to stop and like consider and recognize and reflect on just how big a deal that is. It's huge. So this morning... We want to talk uh, about this verse here and what it means for mission. And the first thing we're looking at is that we are empowered. We are empowered. And the, the, the first thought I want to just share underneath that idea is that it's a promised power. In, in verse 8, Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive power. This isn't a might. There was no if attached to this. Like, if this happens, then this will happen. Or if you win the lottery, you'll get this power. Or if you're one of the lucky few. Like, in the Old Testament, God's Spirit came at different times upon God's people. But the, this idea of indwelling, God's Spirit remaining with, was a foreign thought. And he says, you're going to receive this power. This was promised by God. The disciples were going to have to wait a few more days here, and we... The, we see it in chapter 2, all of this unfolding, the Spirit being poured out. We don't have to wait. If we've trusted in Christ, we have the Spirit of God. I love this verse. If you're a highlighter or a, you know underliner in your Bible, um, go over here to this passage and, and make sure you highlight this one. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We're told, listen to this, His divine power has given us, God's people, 
everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. I want you to think about that for a second. His divine power, God's power, mighty power, has given you and I everything we need for life and godliness. There is not one of us in this room who's lacking in any way the spiritual resources that we need to live the Christian life, to fulfill the mission that He's called us to, to be the kind of men and women and kids that God has called us to be. His His divine power has given us everything we need. There's, There's none of us who've been shortchanged. You know, some of us, by nature of our birth and everything, maybe we lack certain physical abilities to excel at different sports. You know, if you want to, you, you grow up as a kid and you're like, I want to be, be an NFL lineman. But you're like 5'3 in a buck 20. Sorry, kid, your dream's not coming true. It's just not going to happen. You, you miss something in, in the DNA and all that. Like, it's just the, the facts, Okay. But here's the thing, there's none of us when it comes to our spiritual lives that we've been shortchanged. We're not missing out. We we studied 1 Corinthians last year, year and a half ago, and we we studied that all of us have different gifts. That is true. We're designed differently by God, but there's nobody who's been shortchanged when it comes to the gift of the Spirit dwelling within us. It's a promised power. This is for you and for me. None of us are missing out on this. Secondly, we see that there's a a source to this power, and it's the Holy Spirit. We kind of gave that away already. He's the source of our power. This gift was promised by Jesus as a gift to all believers. We need to remember here that the Holy Spirit, he's, He's a person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Sometimes we talk about the Spirit like He's an impersonal uh, thing sort of like the force from Star Wars. The, the Spirit of God, as we read the Scriptures, we're reminded that the Spirit of God is referred to as with personal pronouns. It's, he's a person. God dwells within us. He didn't just give us some, like, life energy or chi or special uh, go-go juice or something. He's, he's God Himself dwelling within us. We need to be careful not to speak of Him as a thing, But remember that God has given us the very best he could have given us, as far as power goes, himself. I love how Jared Wilson puts it when he says, The Holy Spirit cannot be pumped and scooped. He cannot be slung around, gathered up, or dispensed. He's not pixie dust. In this sense, there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not a thing at all, but the very presence of the personal God himself with us, in us, and around us. This is incredible. I'm not going to take a show of hands, because you know it's a a trick, but imagine like you can can raise your hand in your heart. How many of us, um, if we had a choice between you have the gift of the Spirit of God, as promised, as, as what we're talking about here, or you could have either this Holy Spirit or 
you could hang out with Jesus a couple of days a week. Like Jesus himself coming, having dinner with you, or coming, showing up at work, and you could sit down on your lunch break and be able to talk and ask him those burning questions that, that you're dying to ask him. If we had a choice, Holy Spirit inside of us or Jesus to hang out with a couple of times throughout the week, I would venture to guess that most of us would be like, Jesus, come on! How I would love to be able to have walked alongside of those disciples. To, to sit in his presence and hear his stories firsthand. But I want you, when you get a chance, check out John 16, 7. In fact, that whole discourse that night before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus told his disciples a couple of times, he says it in John 14 and again here in John 16, it's necessary that I go away. And he says, if I go away, I can send the comforter. Jesus paints this picture that, listen, I've got to go so that I can give you this gift. You see, God is, God is in the business of giving us his very best. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James said. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not second rate. Jesus said, I have to go away because i got something better for you. I love how J.D. Greer says it. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. There's a reason he told his disciples greater things you guys are going to accomplish. Jesus was limited. He was one person. He, as God, he limited himself to one space and one time. Two legs, one body, walking around and ministering and healing. But all of a sudden, God's Spirit was going to be powerfully dispensed in all of his people God was going to go through all of his ambassadors to the ends of the earth. Jesus physically could not do that as one person. But he enabled by sending his spirit. He said, I'm going to go away and I've got something better. God in you going forth. It's incredible to think that God loves us that much that he would give us such a gift. The Holy Spirit is the source of the power that we need to live this Christian life and to go on the mission that he calls us to. Let's try to clarify that power a little bit more, the nature of our power. This, this, this text says, verse 8, you will receive power. The, the word power is the Greek word dunamis. It means capability. There's an emphasis on, on function. It's not just a, a brute strength, just walking around like, like you've got all this strength and power and it's just pulsating, doing nothing, though. It, it's, the, the idea is I'm giving you this power so that you might accomplish something. It's a capability. It's a it's a strength with purpose. We can see it in several ways in the equipping of spiritual gifts and giving wisdom. We saw that passage in 2 Peter, everything required for life and godliness. But there, there's more to it than that even. I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul is praying and near the end of this section. This is what he prays for the Ephesians in verse 16. He says, I pray that... He, God, I pray that God may grant you 
according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. So his prayer for the Ephesians is that this indwelling spirit would strengthen them. And then he closes out this prayer with sort of a doxology, a worship, in verses 20 and 21 when he says, Now, to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ all generations forever and ever. I want you to think about this for just a second. Look at that verse. Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. How are your imaginations today? Are you good at coming up with big dreams, big asks, big requests, big ideas? In the spiritual realm, the Apostle Paul, I mean, do we believe this? Like the Apostle Paul is saying, God is able to do far and away, above and beyond anything that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us. He doesn't just say it's like out here, like God can do a miraculous thing over there and he can do something in Farwell and he can come over here to this church and do something amazing. But he says, according to the power that's at work within you and me, he's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. How, how is your imagination this morning? What's, what's the craziest thing you asked God for this week? Did you ask God for anything that you couldn't accomplish yourself this week? Did you ask God for anything that if you said out loud in someone else's hearing, they'd be like, that's silly. It's ridiculous. There's no way. I don't know if I did. You know, we, we, we bring God these, like, safe, easy things that we think, like, I mean, I could probably do this, like if I was having a really good day and got a good night's sleep, I could probably do this. I'm just going to have God do it. But like, what if, what if we believed what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians 3.20? That this power that was promised and given in Acts is at work within us, and God is able to accomplish through that power things that are above and beyond what we can even ask or think about. That person that is like so far gone away from the gospel, that relative that mocks you at every chance they can get because of your faith in Jesus Christ, that wayward child who, who has wandered so far that you've been tempted and maybe even have just quit praying. a revival in our community, a, a healing that would not make sense. It, all the doctors have said, we're going to stop treatment. There's nothing we can do. Everybody needs to say goodbye. A, 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 an addiction that has clung to you for decades. A sin that nobody knows about. And you beat yourself up every night about it as you go down, go to sleep. 
the God that we pray to, the God that lives within us, says that he's able to do far and above all that we can even ask or think. I wonder if Jesus wasn't right when he says, you have not because you ask not. Do we really believe that this power is at work within us? If we believe the scriptures, if we believe what God says, then it's true. I love how Francis Chan puts it. He says, God desires to do more than help out a little bit. The Spirit of God wants to completely transform us. He wants to take a timid heart and set it ablaze with strength and courage, so much so that people know something supernatural has taken place. This morning, do we, do we believe in the Spirit of God's power in and through us? But as we've been saying all along, as we've been talking about through this series, we, we don't want to just have good theology for the sake of having good theology. First and foremost, it should transform our lives, but then we're taking it a step further, and all along we've been saying, how does this propel us on mission? Well, this text really makes it easy for us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Like, there is a direct connection between the receiving of the Spirit of God, and then going out and being empowered on mission. The Spirit of God is given, yes, to transform our hearts and lives. The Spirit of God is given so that we might have the fruit of the Spirit, so I can be more loving and be more joyful and have more patience. But the Spirit of God is not given only so that I can be the kind of, the, the, the Jeremiah that God wants me to be. That's part of it, but it's not the whole picture. The Spirit of God is given so that we would go and be witnesses. I don't know, we can't get the sense of Jesus' emotions from this text here. But Jesus is getting ready to go into heaven, and he says, okay, wait here. Wait for the Father's promise that you've heard me talk about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In a few days, he says. So Jesus is thinking, my gift to you, being equipped to go out, he's thinking mission, and what did the disciples bring up? What's their next response in verse 6? What's their question? They want to know about the end times. <laughs> they, they said, Are, is, it, is it time for Israel to get the kingdom, Jesus? And I just have to imagine an eye roll or a shaking of the head or something of like, uh, you remember the great commission we talked about? I'm talking about the Spirit of God coming to live inside you, God himself coming to dwell in you so that you can do what, like, what I've called you to do. Go and be witnesses. And they're like, when are you going to destroy these Romans and set up your kingdom, Jesus? They, they, they were thinking about a political kingdom. They were thinking ethnocentrically about the Jewish people getting their land and their rule and their reign back. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses. We'll get to that other stuff. He says, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. Don't worry about the timetable. I'm giving you a mission. 
I'm giving you the power for the mission, and I'm giving you a clarity in your, in your calling. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the earth. We are empowered for a purpose, for mission. And it's a specific mission. It's being a witness of Jesus. We are empowered for a specific mission on being a witness. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. Witnesses is the Greek word martus. A witness is simply someone who has uh, reporting, uh, someone who's reporting on what they've seen. Uh, Jade and I uh, this week were watching the old 1950s movie, um, 12 Angry Men. If you've seen it, it's just about this jury deliberating and, and going through the testimony that they've seen during the court case. And at one point, they're calling into question the credibility of the witnesses. Could she have really seen the murder from their, her position at the window at the apartment across the street with the train going in front? There's a credibility issue. They're, they're wondering whether the witness really saw what they've seen. We've been called to be witnesses of what we've seen and heard. Sometimes it's easy to blow the idea of evangelism so out of proportion that it seems like this big, scary thing to share Jesus Christ. I've got to make sure I've had this training in this class, and I've got to have these outlines down. I've got to make sure I have answers for these difficult questions that come up about maybe the origins of the earth. And over here, I've got to talk about the problem of evil and suffering. And I've got to have a good answer for the historical accuracy of the resurrection and proofs of and it's like we come up with this big, scary, like, I've got to know all these things. And Jesus, if we come back to the Word of God, it was so simple. He's like, you're going to be my witnesses. What was their job? They were supposed to just talk about the things they had seen and heard. I mean, we do this every day, don't we? We talk about things that are important to us. You find out after a long time that you're finally able to have a baby and you're expecting. And as the baby grows... You don't just keep all this to yourself. I mean, we live in the day and age of social media. You're talking about it. You're, you're writing about it. And the day comes and the baby's born. And you celebrate. You're thrilled. I just, just uh, saw some baby pictures in the foyer right before the service. Like you're proud. You're excited. You don't care that nobody wants to see 45 pictures a day of your newborn. You don't care about that because this is your precious baby. You're telling everybody about it. You want to share the pictures. You want to spread the good news. You're witnessing something that has thrilled your heart. That's evangelism. We get captured with Jesus. You're, listen, it's not my job. It's not your job. To, and you've heard me say this before, we're not there to wrestle somebody into the kingdom of God, put them in an arm bar, say uncle, say uncle, Jesus, give in, <laughs> you know you want to. We're there to witness what we've seen and heard. The most, the most antagonistic atheist, the most craftily, rec like, oratory somebody could give defense against our argument against the gospel none of that can argue against what jesus has done in your heart and life none of it and it's not it's not our job to convince people jesus says you'll be my witnesses 
I love in Acts chapter 4, you should check this out later on this week. Peter and John had been preaching the gospel. It was right there in Jerusalem. And they get arrested. They get hauled off to prison. And, and the, the, the rulers don't really know what to do with them. The, the, really, Christianity hadn't become illegal. I mean, it's just taking off here. Just, just chapter 4 of Acts. And things are new, and they're not really sure what to do with them. So it says that they beat them. And they are like, all right, just, you know what? Just stop talking about Jesus, and everything will be okay. You don't have to go to prison, but just stop talking about Jesus. And their answer in Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20 says, uh, they were, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's their evangelism strategy right there. We, we just can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. That's, that's, that's sharing our faith. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't, as you're spending time with people, talk about what you've seen and heard. I love that when they first arrested them, it says back in verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. What a beautiful thing. To be with Jesus. To have people see that you've been with Jesus. And then to share that you've been with Jesus. Very briefly, this mission uh, is a specific mission, but it's also a gradual mission. And we won't say much here other than uh, he says that it's, it's, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It did take time for the gospel to go forth. Be patient during this process. It may not be an overnight thing. Maybe many years of prayer, many years of sharing. Thirdly, it's a far-reaching mission. Notice he, do, he says that this witness is to go to the ends of the earth. It is amazing what a bunch of unlearned men and women were able to accomplish in the early church. Only about 160 years or so after the beginning of Acts, one of the fathers of the, the faith, one of the fathers of the church by the name of Tertullian wrote this. He said, we are but of yesterday, meaning we Christians, we're relatively new onto the scene here. We are but of yesterday, and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, and forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. <laughs> The heart of the gospel was not to stay there in Jerusalem, but God was calling them to go out into the ends of the earth. You know, as we've been talking about being on mission, our, our hope is that, that we're on mission wherever God has planted us. First and foremost, under the roof of our house, making disciples. And then in the other places that we're spending time with people, naturally. But here's the thing. God always calls us to get out of our comfort zone. Always. How is he calling you to expand the reaches of the kingdom of God beyond what your normal lanes are? One of the easy things that we can do every day is pray that God would raise up more laborers to go out into the field. 
Jesus told us to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We can, we can be praying for those who are already there. We can give financially to support those endeavors. The United Brethren Easter offering was specifically to minister to a, 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 a tribal, an unreached people group in a predominantly Muslim area. Praying, supporting financially, but we can also be a part of that. Like, how is God calling us to physically go to the ends of the earth to take the gospel forth? I'll close with this. You see, we can't, can't be a witness if we haven't seen anything. You'll never get called to a trial to give eyewitness testimony if you didn't observe anything in the first place. If, if we're going to through the power of the Holy Spirit, be on mission, we got to start by just being with Jesus. Prayerfully being with Jesus, saying, God, I, I need your power. I need you to direct me and to guide me and to fill me and to go by faith. But at the end of the day, it comes down to trust, to believe in whether or not he can do above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to that power that's at work within us. I love this story. Carl Lawrence relates the eyewitness account of two young Chinese ladies in their early 20s. They came to faith in an underground church in China. And just a week or two later, the pair reported that God had called them to go minister on Hainan Island off the coast, the southern coast of China, thousands of miles away. I don't know if you caught that, but just a week or two after they came to faith in Jesus Christ, <laughs> they felt called to go and proclaim the gospel on an island far away. Other believers cautioned them to get some training before they went. They felt compelled by the Spirit to go right away and simply trusted God to lead them. And so the elders of the house church finally agreed to give them their blessing and they sent them out. The women were there for two years and came home at the end of those two years and reported to the church. The church asked them to share and they reluctantly got up and they apologized for their what they felt like was unfruitful work. The leaders prompted them to share what they meant. Well, it seemed that they had only won 3,000 people to Christ and started only 30 house churches. The astonished leaders asked what method they, were, they had used. They wanted to know the system, <laughs> the curriculum, the process. All the women could reply was, every morning we just read God's word and prayed. We asked the Holy Spirit to teach us what to do. And whatever God's word spoke to us, that's what we did. We just simply obeyed. I wonder what it would do in our church, in our community, if we simply believed and obeyed. If we simply believed that God is as powerful as he says he is, that his spirit dwells within us as he says he does, and that the power that's at work within us is as great and powerful and miraculous 
as what he proclaims this power to be. What would it do if we believed? Hmm. I'm going to take some time and, and close in prayer here. And as, as we finish, I would love to invite you up. There'll be a couple of us up here. We'd love to pray with you. Or if you would just want some time to pray. This is, this is a great opportunity. Don't, don't just, you know, it's lunchtime. It's time we head home. But don't, don't let God's word fall by the wayside. May, God, may you let God's spirit speak to you. And remind you of what he longs to do through each of, each of us. He's equipped. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive my unbelief. So often my prayers are safe and simple. So often they lack any spiritual audacity or bold faith. So often they're simply things that I could do myself on a good night's sleep. And they lack a real deep-seated trust in your power to work. God, would you give us a vision to pray boldly. To pray boldly for you to work but not just for you to work out there somewhere, but realizing that you dwell within us through your Spirit and that we might have the boldness to ask you to do above and beyond what seems reasonable, what seems doable, May we, oh God, drive us to pray God-sized prayers for hearts and souls, for the gospel to go forth, for spiritual and physical healings, for deliverance from sins and addictions for relationships to be healed, for the unity of the body, for wisdom, for love for one another, for our marriages, for our kids, for our missionaries, for our enemies, Oh God, may we expect you to do great and mighty things. God, we have not because so often we ask not. Give us a heart, give us a vision to trust you to do great things through the power that works within us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, open our eyes to see what you want us to trust you for. May we act in faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy, all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you this week as you trust him. You're dismissed.